Our veterinary services out of reach for many pet owners is cost a barrier to veterinary care. This week, we're going to talk about our old friend money again on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And Becky, I can't help but come back to the money. (laughs) Once again, this week, we're going to talk about how money, how finances impact our ability to provide care. In fact, we're going to reveal some latest data from different experts on how cost could be a barrier to us being the best veterinarians and providing the best care possible. Before we get into all of that complicated money stuff, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, you know, it's the start of the new year. The old credit card bills are beginning to roll in and a lot of people are thinking about money. And in fact, if you're like us, your practice probably sees a little bit of a dip around this time of year because people are sensitive to money. In fact, those bills are rolling in and it takes a toll on their ability to spend on their pets. And we wanted to talk today about is cost one of the primary barriers in general to veterinary care? And we also wanted to share with you some of the latest survey results from Guggenheim Securities, which is one of these investment bureaus that kind of watches the big veterinary markets and pharmaceuticals and all that stuff. And they recently did a pet owner survey. They're calling it the pet parent survey that was published January 2nd, 2020. And some of the results, Becky, were quite scary. But first of all, Becky, before we jump into some of the data and some of the things, do you think as a veterinary technician that cost is a barrier to people seeking veterinary assistance? So I don't know if it's cost or ability to pay. Right. Mm, Like, I don't know that we are charging in such a way that what we're doing is unaffordable. I think that there are algorithms to like how to make money. We're running a business. Veterinarians always say, oh, but it's not about money. I'm not in it to make money. But like, yeah, yeah, I want to get paid. You got to get you got it. It's got to be about money. So sometimes I'm like, is it the line between like, is it the cost of the service or is it just the fact that people are completely unprepared to pay for it still? Right, right. Well, one of the things, too, and I'm going to share with you some of this results uh, and definitely check out Guggenheim Securities, the pet parent survey. Um, They quoted something that Chewy has been throwing around now for the past year or two. And Chewy has been saying publicly that more than a third of its customers, in fact, I've heard them say as high as 40 percent, Becky, that about a third to 40 percent of their customers don't see a vet in a given year. Now, when we look at self-reported data, including the the surveys that we conduct at the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention, Becky, those results are like 90 plus percent. So people are claiming that they're going to the veterinarian at least once a year. But then we have people like Chewy saying not so fast. What do you think about that? I would, you know, I I really have to believe we are not seeing quite as many pets. I think between um, 
the vaccine issue in, in terms of just like people are concerned about over vaccinating. There are so many people out there who still are calling preventatives poison. And I'm like, are, you've got to be kidding. Right. I mean, there's people out there who don't believe in climate change. Like, I, I mean, I, I, whatever. OK, but like, I think that there is like this either like super really informed generation that's like, no, you absolutely have to get health care for your pet, just like you'd get it for yourself. And then there's this other group that's just kind of like they're out to get money and, and you can do it yourself and then piece it all together. And I, I don't know that they're necessarily like um, outweighing each other so that the bottom line isn't shifting dramatically. But I think there is really starting to be more and a more divide and let and fewer and fewer people in the middle. And, and one of the things, too, I want to point out, like when we do the APOP, the pet obesity prevention surveys, we know that anytime you have a self-reported survey, there's going to be a positive bias typically. So when you ask somebody, do you do something? They typically say, yeah, I do, even if they really don't. And that's not that they're intentionally setting out to mislead us. It's just sometimes our recollection favors in favor of the good than the bad. So I would say when I look at this data, when Chewy is saying 35, 40 percent of our customers don't go to the vet once a year, and then the self-reporting data from us and Guggenheim and others says it's 90 percent say they go to the vet, I say there's an awareness that's positive. That tells me that people know at least that they should be going to the veterinarian once a year. Does that make sense to you, Becky, that distinction I'm trying to draw? Well, I think I think like we know because we it's ingrained to us like we're at the dentist twice a year. We know our doctor wants to see us at least, you know, every six months, if not once a year. I, I mean, I think that it's ingrained. Regular health is important because we do it since we're little. Um, and is in the more our pets become family and the more care and preventative services we're providing for our pets, you know, the more people get that. And I, and I think it is becoming more and more of part of our society. But you know, I don't necessarily know that the connection is being made between what they know and what they're doing. Right. Well, I'll, I'll share with you, too. There was another survey from last year, 2019, done by Packaged Facts, and they asked for the barriers. They said, so what are the reasons why you don't go to the vet more frequently? OK, and no surprise, affordability was 55% of the respondents. So 55% of the people in this package facts survey last year said, hey, if it was less expensive, I probably would go to the vet more frequently. Convenience accounted for 38% of that. And, and again, we felt like, you know, when you look at that data, APOP data, Guggenheim data, what it's like, there's a clear through line in my mind, at least, that affordability is at least part of it. I'll also say that, Becky, there's friction between the current generation of veterinary practice owners and younger pet owners. Now, I know that may be controversial and I'm, I apologize. I'm not trying to, I'm inadvertently offending you if I am, but the reality is younger pet owners from every survey and in every industry, they want more choices, right? They want yeah. to be able to research their choices. They want to be able to make their own decisions. And we typically, you know, the older generations, particularly, particularly the baby boomer generation of vets, it was more of a unilateral, this is how you should do it, you know, and this is where, you know, Becky and I, when you and I gave that lecture on pet care shaming at VMX uh, two or three years ago, like yeah. that was the point we were trying to make, right? We were like, you guys, there's friction here. Uh, we think there's a generational component to it as well, but you know, it's, it's probably a barrier as well. So cost is part of it, but Becky, what about choices? Yeah, I think that's it. Like I can totally imagine so many times I've been in the exam room or I've been, you know, um, working with a client and and that is one of their first questions is like, so is this my only option? Is are there any other options? Can I think about my options? We are definitely in a generation of researchers. 
And, you know, I we really have this like negative connotation and, and we we say Dr. Google in, in the most condescending way. But the truth of the matter is, is now it's like Google Scholar and people are pulling out, you know, PubMed right. type publications and research and and they're doing actual research. And um, it's not about Dr. Google anymore. And they're also crowdsourcing. So they're saying, do you have an experience with this? What was your experience? What did your veterinarian do? We now live in a generation where in five minutes we can hear from 100 people on what exactly their vet did in this exact same situation. And this is not because they're trying to undermine their veterinarian. It's because they care so deeply for their pet, just like we care for our pets. And we want to know, are we doing the right thing? And we want several opinions so that we can find out if there's consistency. That is the generation we have got. That's that's where we are as people now. Yeah, that's a brilliant insight. And I'll share with you, viewfinders, just one quick thing from my other life uh, outside of the podcast, which uh, we were recently spoken with an Amazon marketing expert. And she was telling us, you know, sort of like, how do people make purchasing decisions on Amazon? And it's a real simple process. Basically, people search for a product that they're interested in, can be clothing, a book, food, I mean, whatever, right? And part of the decision is the cost. So obviously, if it's like some fantastic deal, we'll buy, buy, buy. But she says before they click purchase or buy now, they actually then look over and they study this. I mean, they've got all these embedded sensors and screens. I mean, you know, there's this is high tech stuff. They actually look over at the number of stars and not just the number of stars viewfinders, but the number of reviews. They then said that the number of people that actually dig into the reviews is very minor, that basically if it's four and a half stars with 55 or a thousand, you know, reviews that there's some metric that each person says, oh, this is a good amount. Now, the reason that I bring this up is the stars and Becky says you have instant access to a hundred people's opinions. Remember now you're an independent practitioner. You're up against a company that can somehow coalesce thousands of positive reviews on Google or on Yelp or whatever. And so, and when somebody is making a local service decision, right, Becky, I mean, this is factoring into it. They're going online and suddenly the number one pop-up is some corporate or mobile or, or some other type of competitor. And suddenly they've got 500 four or five star reviews and you're looking at your clinic with 13. I mean, it's that part makes it really difficult. And I've actually, you know, I there's a lot of um, businesses. I won't say necessarily clinics, but I know businesses that will say we'll give you 10 percent off if you leave us a Google review before Mm -hmm. you leave today. Or we'll give you 10 percent off on your next visit (laughs) if you leave us a Google review. Um, And I honestly have to say (laughs) (laughs) Amazon hit, hit it on the actual nose. How I mean, that is exactly how I Amazon shop. I'm like. Filter by prime, filter by the most number of stars. And then I start looking at how many people are purchasing it. And 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 for me, that is an exact like rule out algorithm of I need to buy a product that I know there is 67 million to choose from what's quick, easy and seems to be liked by everyone. I will, in fact, even do the exact same thing if I'm shopping in a store and I'm trying to buy a purchase, you know, that I don't really know a lot about, say, like a small appliance. I'm actually going to go online and start to look to see what the reviews from people are at on um, online at the store I'm shopping at or, you know, in right. other places. Right. Okay. So we've established, and I think most of our viewfinder family, Becky, would agree that 
cost is at least a barrier for some pet owners to seek vet care or, or pursue or, or go to the vet. Um, and so to address that, we're starting to see now, I, w- I would argue that there's really two pathways that are emerging clearly. The first is online. So internet services, whether it's teletriage, telehealth, all that kind of stuff, which we're not going to talk about today. We've talked about that. So check out some of those older podcasts and we'll revisit that in the near future, but we've covered that pretty, pretty well. So that's a way to reduce cost and accessibility, blah, blah, blah. The second area, though, is one that we're starting to see sort of a resurgence in, a renewed interest in retail veterinary medical care centers. Many companies are working with Walmarts and PetSmarts and Tractor Supply. I mean, you name it. But the reality is we're starting to put them in these types of retailers. I want to share with you some really interesting data that came out of that Guggenheim Pet Parent Survey. And they ask uh, them, would you consider going to a pet retailer you know, some a vet clinic in a Walmart, and 44% of their respondents said they find uh, the idea of a retailer to be appealing or very appealing. So they want to go to see the vet at Walmart. I, I mean, again, you know, when we talked about this in the past, for me, it's a totally separate group of people who are not crossing over their needs, right? Like it is not someone who is going to leave the veterinarian that they've been going to for the last 20 years consistently that's that's in their phone and they bring you cookies and they send you a Christmas card. Like they're not leaving you. Right. It's the people you've never seen. And right. so there is this part of this. I like, you know, veterinary medicine has got to change. Why wouldn't it change? Why wouldn't it? adapt and why wouldn't care become more accessible? I mean, when you see the human industry do this and you feel the convenience and you appreciate the accessibility to it, I mean, uh, New Year's Day, my husband has pink eye, right? Like I've got two choices. We can go to urgent care and both come home with the flu (laughs) or, you know, in 15 minutes he can have what he needs. And then I get a free trip to Walmart to shop and buy some things I want. Right. So, It's so easy. It's so convenient. And it's a, it's a it's a group of people that we're not accessing anyway. And, you know, it's a matter of like stopping and thinking, because if we're saying all the time, it's not about the money. And we're saying all the time that it isn't about, you know, profits and making money. It's about care. Then we should absolutely be supporting these types of, of organizations. These types of organizations are, are doing the best they can to keep their overhead really low by not having all the tools and all the equipment and all the bells and whistles so they can do just wellness. The bells and whistles can go to you. Um, it's some it's something we're going to have to adapt on. But again, I, I just get really like on a, you know, a pedestal about it because I'm like, but what about the ones that need to be there? And, and again, I, th- I think this is we're challenging the old paradigm. And yeah. I think that this is a, 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 we said it at the top of the show, but there's this friction between the current generation of veterinary practice owners and these younger Gen Z millennial pet owners. I mean, so so we know that they have different desires, you know, wishes and, and needs. Now, I'm going to say, you know, there's this look, Becky, you and I and others, we've been I've been saying this for 25 years. But we used to think, I think falsely, that veterinary medicine was exactly like pediatric medicine. And, and look, a large part of my success was due to what I'm about to tell you, but I think it's changed. And that is that you trusted your pediatrician. You loved your pediatrician. You had such an intense bond and relationship with your pediatrician. You were never changing pediatricians, right? And yeah. to a large extent, that's exactly how we raised our two children with their pediatrician, right? But in veterinary medicine, I think that 
That's what most consumers want. Most pet parents want that type of relationship I've just, just described. But now we're entering into this age where we're going, wait a second, cost or price, convenience, you know, can I get online booking? Can I order my stuff online? All of these other factors start to play in and they go, gosh, you know, I do, I do love the fact that, you know, when I was growing up, we had this one veterinarian, he, our family loved him. But, you know, I'm busy now and I've got my own new family and I just, I don't have time. You know, like I can't go wait in the lobby for an hour, right? And I can't even book the appointment on my phone. So you see where I'm saying, Becky, there it's shifting, right? Yeah, so- and, it, and it absolutely has to. And I think there's also a perception if you have a lack of technology or a lack of advancement that you may have a lack of more advanced knowledge. And, and I personally feel that way about my practitioners. Like if I'm trying to... Um, you know, work with a practitioner who doesn't have technology that makes my appointment setting convenient, my bill paying convenient. Um, I start to think to myself, you know, if they're this set in their ways about how they, you know, practice um, in terms of their, you know, client accessibility, I just feel like there's a good chance that these are probably just set in their ways types of people. And it makes me feel as though they're not out there looking for the latest and greatest, you know, education and, and, you know, ways of doing treatments and therapies. And they're in the mode of constantly learning and advancing. When I see a practitioner who is up to date on technology, who is looking at the latest and greatest, who is trying to make things convenient and streamlined, for me, I reflect that in how they're doing their medicine. And again, I just will refer you back to that Guggenheim study that just came out. 44% of the respondents when we're asked, and I'm just going to read the question verbatim because I think this is an important question. Here's the question. Walmart, Tractor Supply, and other regional retailers, such as Mayer, for, Mayer for, for example, plan on opening up clinics that offer basic veterinary services, i.e. microchipping, testing, and flea medications. On a scale of one to five, how appealing do you find vet services at retail locations like these? We're talking Walmart, Tractor Supply. 23% said appealing, 21% said very appealing, and then 36% said somewhat appealing. Only 21% said not appealing at all. I mean, wow. Becky? I mean, ugh, what do you, what do you? Yeah, yeah. But, but you know what, Becky? You said something earlier that I want to bring back up, and that is, Okay, and on another podcast, I mean, you said, look, okay, Ernie, I get it. You and I maybe have a different view of practice. We've been in different practices. You know, you and I have typically been in very high quality practices. That's what I founded my whole medical philosophy on. But are we being judgmental, right? Are we saying somehow, oh, you can't get the same level of care for these basic wellness services at Walmart that you could get in my million dollar clinic? Right. So and and I guess it's like I get a little fired up about that. I don't know, because I think it's insulting to the veterinarian standing there. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a matter of work life balance for them? Is this a veterinarian? who, Like, for, like, for example, I've said a million times in this podcast, I hate surgery. Like you've trapped me in a room. One poor soul has to listen to me talk, which I never stop doing. Um, I, I don't have the attention span for it. It's not where I want to be in the clinic. So if I was a veterinarian, a wellness clinic would probably be very appealing to me. And that would be because of how I like to practice. Um, But then, you know, maybe, you know, for others, it's a matter of I've got a ton of student debt and now I'm looking for ways to to add on to my workload already. So I get a little bit unsure and I think it just kind of depends on that motivation. But I think it's really unfair to just assume because of where something is located, the veterinarian doesn't care or doesn't know what they're doing. Right. And, and to be clear, what this study was looking at was they said basic stuff, microchipping, testing, flea tick medication, right? Basic stuff, wellness care, vaccines, that kind of stuff. 
Now, I'll tell you, and look, this is no surprise to listeners or people that have read my writings or listened to me or Becky lecture for the past two decades. There really are now, over the past 20 years, certainly over the past 10 years, two major categories of veterinarians, in my opinion. And Becky, I'd love to hear if you agree or disagree. The first, as Becky's already said, you know, look, they want to own their own clinic. They want to do surgery. They want to do these complex workups. You know, they want to stay the long hours and grind it out. And gosh, nothing gives them more satisfaction than diagnosing Addison's disease. Okay. Right. And then there's another category of veterinarians that are like, look, I want to be a veterinarian. This is my passion, but I also want a lower stress environment. I want work-life balance. I want to be able to, to hang up my coat at 5 PM and go enjoy my life. Right. And so that's where I think the vet talent attraction of some of these wellness type clinics. Look, you know, I used to think it's going to be really hard to staff veterinarians in a Walmart clinic. Right. I've said that. But now, you know, you start to realize, wow, there's a great number of veterinarians out there that just like Becky said, and just like I've said that, hey, they want a simpler version of veterinary medicine. Doesn't mean it's less quality. But this is really appealing. I think this is a great play for somebody who is looking for um, a lower stress type of practice. I mean, am I off my rocker here, Becky? Well, and I think I don't, <laughs> whether you're off your rocker or not, it's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. But, the you know, the thing about it is, is like, I don't know why we're expected to be so incredibly A to Z diverse in the veterinary industry and be like totally perfect at everything. And you see the human, you know, side saying like, I want to work on eyes and I want to work on feet and I want to work on, you know, intestines. Like people get to pick. And a lot of that is based on their interests and a lot of it's based on their strength and a lot of it's based on what's available out there. And I think that we will have more, you know, um, selectivity in the in the veterinary industry where things are a little bit, you know, more specialized in a lot of ways because of this desire to be more um, balanced. And I think when you're not trying to do A to Z perfectly, you have a lot better chance of being able to to be balanced through that specialization. And I think you also get the chance to be really good at what you do. And I think it's very important to recognize when you are good at something and when you're not and when it suits your skill set and when it doesn't and to not be ashamed of that. And the veterinary industry is not a place where it is safe yet to say, I'm not really that great at this area of medicine. And that's why I stay in this area. And um, I'd like to see that change into where there is more acceptance. And it says like, wow, you know, I love that you have taken, you know, we don't like shame shelter vets and say, oh, well, they're probably crappy right. vets. They don't even want to deal right. with owners. We're like, oh, my gosh, they're angels on earth. They're saving animals. Like, and they are. Well, then why would somebody who's working in a vaccine clinic or in a low cost spay neuter or in this type of situation all of a sudden be bad at medicine as opposed to just like having a passion for getting into those spaces. Well, I love that. And and again, viewfinders, we want to hear from you. I mean, we're just sharing our opinions. You know, we think that this data was really important to share, this Guggenheim study. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk, again, as we get into the new year about money and the future and who controls it, which is why we want to have the conversation with you, our veterinary colleagues, because we want to be in control of this, not just venture capitalists and big Wall Street people. But anyway, uh, I like the idea, the appeal of, as you said, sort of this specialization, because remember these types of wellness clinics, we're talking about in retail settings, whether it's PetSmart or Walmart, doesn't really make a difference, but these are not, no surgery, right? So like Becky said, Hey, that's really appealing. You don't do euthanasia. You don't keep pets overnight for hospitalization. So I, I believe Becky 
that the real opportunity with those types of retail settings, if they want to do it right, is to specialize again on preventive medicine, really focus on, hey, let's come in and do a really thorough workup and know when to refer them. You know, so now they diagnose, they think the dog has Cushing's or Addison's or whatever. So now they know when they're out of their element, but focus back on what brings them joy and passion, which is trying to keep a healthy pet pet as healthy for as long as possible. Yes. I mean, and, and there's definitely a lot of different models that can make that happen. Yeah. Um, and clinics need to start thinking outside the box and staying relevant. And that's, you know, that's on them. And, and the thing about it is, is it's not a matter of if it's coming. It's a matter of when it's coming. And unfortunately, we have a way of, you know, keeping our head down. But there's this entire new generation. Listen to your, you know, younger technicians, your younger support staff, your younger manager. It's not about age, right? Like, I mean, you might have somebody who's been in the industry forever who's also a really in innovative, out-of-the-box thinker who stays up to date. Lean into those people. If they're making you uncomfortable, they're probably going to save your business. Right. That's a really good point. And, and again, just to give you some scale, uh, I was recently attending a call by Pet IQ, one of these sort of uh, retail the retail vet. So they're working with Walmart. I think they have plans to open another 80 uh, in Walmart this year, I believe, and 100 the next year. They're in 41 states. You guys know these. They typically do a lot of mobile clinics. And the data that the CEO shared with us on the call was that last year they did over 75,000 of these mobile clinics. That's a lot. They served over a million pets primarily vaccines and heartworm type of things. So that's A, a big reach. And B, that means they're staffing it with veterinarians. So Becky, they are obviously appealing to one of those categories of vets we referred to earlier. Yeah. And, you know, I almost also wonder about the environmental aspect of this, right? Like if there's this like, OK, you and I, let's let's touch on something personal for you and me with the dentist, right? Mm -hmm. Would the dentist be so scary if you could go get your cleaning at a spa? Or is it like going to the dentist? And so if we're, you know, if they have as a client, if you're looking at, oh, I'm taking my pet to the pet store where we have fun, where we get treats, where we bond, and they're just going to get a quick vaccine there, it might have less gloom and doom connotation to them than like, oh, we're going to the vet. And that sounds scary and feels scary and has this like history of my poor dog. He's scared he's going to the vet. Um, and I almost have to wonder how much of that makes these um, even more appealing to clients who, who you know, um, if it's a matter of a comfort level for their pets. Right. And I, and I will tell you, too, from this pet IQ call, it was just a fascinating uh, insight into to sort of what their strategy is and thinking is for the next decade. But one of the things that they said that why Walmart loves them in their stores, A, because those people buy a lot of extra stuff while they're there. So, you know, Walmart's all about footfall. The more people through those doors, the more money Walmart makes. But the people, when they survey their customers in these pet IQ clinics and Walmarts, they cite that the, you know, I called it multitasking ability so they can go to Walmart, have their yeah. dog taken care of and get their, their kids diapers, right? And right. buy milk or whatever. So there's a huge convenience play that we just could never replicate in traditional veterinary medicine setting. I mean, like, yeah, I think about like, we expanded our retail to the point where we actually set up other stores outside of our main clinics. So, you know, so I, I know about pet retail, but we couldn't sell baby diapers. So, you know, yeah, that's, no. that's a convenience play I can't compete with. In a hundred percent, but that's the convenience play you have to compete with. So then you specialize where you specialize, you provide the care that you provide the care for, and then you allow those clinics to 
do the areas that they're going to do. I mean, I, I think it's, again, it's something that we're going to have to learn to embrace. We're going to have to um, understand how to work it into our dynamic. And we're going to have to really target our clients that, you know, are and, and make sure they understand why they come to us for what they come to us for. And, you know, and, and either way, I, I don't care how you feel about it. You're just going to have to change with the times. It's happening. Like it's happening no matter what. Well, we started the talk off by asking if price was a barrier to veterinary care. Are we somehow creating obstacles for pet owners all around the world to come see us? We've talked about a lot of ideas. I do want to remind you once again that according to Chewy, they report that 33 to 40% of their current customer base doesn't go to the vet at least once a year. I think it's a huge opportunity for us. I honestly still to this day will say it is not about, you know, whether you're low cost, you know, high volume, high cost, low volume. It's about delivering the most veterinary care possible. I think that the market is wide open enough to provide a variety of different sort of models. And again, we want to hear from you. What do you think about this issue? What are the steps your clinic is taking to meet these challenges? Again, reach out to us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We really want to hear from you. That's right. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, at Instagram at Vet Viewfinder. And you can make sure you subscribe from wherever you find your favorite podcast. And while you're there, leave us a review and click those five stars so everyone in the veterinary industry can get in on these important conversations. Until next time, keep avoiding that mailbox at least until February and maybe you'll skip the old credit card bills. Bye. Bye. It's true. The bills. No come. one's getting in the mailbox anymore. No, but that's right. I've dated myself. So everyone's on. Everyone's on auto. Take my money. Crap. My bank's empty. They all took my money. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>